<clears throat> I have uh, several different um, Bibles at home, different translations, and in the New King James Version, the heading for this section uh, is called The Glorious Company. The Glorious Company is talking about, uh, specifically begins in verse 18, to reminding uh, the Hebrew people about uh, God's visitation after they came out of slavery in Egypt. And there's actually uh, quite a bit in this short section here. So let's begin with verses 18 through 21. <clears throat> it says there, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Specifically, this is talking about the day uh, that they uh, got the law, the Ten Commandments. This was 50 days after coming out of Egypt, a little bit more than two months, and they had already been complaining uh, to God saying, you know, this is terrible, let's go back and be slaves. Isn't that insane? <laughs> they were living as slaves and they get set free. God does tremendous miracles, 10 plagues on the Egyptians, and none on them, and they, they want to go back. We missed the leeks and the garlic and, and we had meat and, and you also had slave drivers and you also had people murdering your sons. And you want to go back to that. And they're complaining. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> this is insanity. In any event, let's look here. You notice it says, you have not come. We're to approach God. God draws us and God wants us to approach Him. And so all of this story that you see in these verses here is in Exodus and also in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second, the, the, uh, not the rerun, but the reiteration where uh, Moses repeats the law and, uh, and all the goodness of God. And it's uh, here at, by the way, Mount Sinai in 17 verses in the Old Testament. It calls it Mount Horeb. Does anybody know <clears throat> where the burning bush was that Moses talked to God with? Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai. Same place. Wow, isn't that amazing? God met Moses there in a burning bush. Tells him, go to Egypt. Get my people out of there. They get out of there. And just before they get to the Mount Horeb, they're complaining. There's no water out here, God. Did you bring us out here to kill us, God? It's, anybody ever feel like that? I hope not. God, what are you doing? What am I going through this for? Are you trying to kill me, God? No, God's not trying to kill us. God's trying to 
increase our faith. Hallelujah. Our faith is supposed to increase more and more. When we go through testings and trials, it's because God is building our faith, our trust in Him. God, I don't know what's going on, but I believe you and I trust you have the best outcome in mind. Hallelujah. So this is the third month. This is the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after the Passover. We all know in the New Testament what happened on the day of Pentecost after the official Passover where Jesus was sacrificed. The Holy Spirit was poured out. But on this day, they are getting the law. And just before that, this is in chapter 19, that they're getting the law. Chapter 17, they complained about not having water. And God tells them, okay, Moses, this is the ninth complaint. They've only been out of Egypt for a little while. They've already complained uh, and, and tested God nine times and not trusted him. Can you imagine seeing all those miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, other miracles that all took place. Moses touches the Nile River with his, with his staff and it turns to blood. All these plagues come on the Egyptians and all of these people had seen those things, yet they get out into the wilderness and they say, well, God's uh, not powerful enough. God can't do anything now. What, you know, and they complain and complain and God has patience with them. But they complain about water, not having any water. So Moses, God tells Moses, okay, go to Horeb, hit the rock with your staff, and water comes out. What a blessing and what a miracle. How many know you need water to live in the desert? Can't live very long without water. Most, I uh, believe, most humans can only live about three days without water. After that, you're dead. There was an amazing story I read about uh, some botanists who are studying uh, saguaros and the bujum tree, and they're out there in the desert, and they hear this strange noise. It turns out it's a guy, and they, they he's been parched. He's he's all dried up. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and in the story, they said, this is a true story. They, they, the guy comes into their camp, and he just collapses, and they pour water on his body, and his body begins to absorb the water. They be able, finally gets to be able to drink. And uh, his, the story is that he was out prospecting for gold with a guy, and the guy left him out there and said, I'll be back, and never came back and he, for four days. As far as this old guy could remember, he didn't have water for four days and he managed to live. But most people can only live about three days and so it was important for them to get water. Water comes from the rock. And then in chapter 19 is the 50th day after Passover and uh, Moses goes up on the mountain. And it says there in verse 18 that what it's talking about is the mountain Mount Sinai, where God physically came down and, and with a spectacular show of power, the, the, the Bible says that there was fire on the mountain. There was dark smoke and, and a wind and an earthquake. And the people are standing there watching this. Many people nowadays say, well, you know, remember back in the 60s, I think it was, God's dead, some philosopher Come up with that idea. God's dead. Well, sorry about your God. My God's not dead. And, and people have this idea that God's not powerful. 
because he's not doing anything in the earth. There's no spectacular things going on anymore. No, no great revivals where, where hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people getting saved and people uh, crying out to God for mercy. You know, God, God must be asleep because nothing's happening, it seems. But it's not true. Many years ago, back in like the early part of the, the 1900s and the, and the 30s and 40s, in order to sell newspapers, the newspapers would have to come up with these spectacular uh, stories, you know, to get people to read because there was no, no internet and you couldn't find anything like that. You had to actually buy a newspaper and read it. And so in order to sell newspapers, they, sometimes they'd even stage episodes and spectacular things that would happen. Oh, everybody wants to read it. Well, nowadays, you got the information highway. Hallelujah. But we are able also to read and to look back and see what God did back then. Hallelujah. And see what God's doing today. So it says that they heard, actually heard the voice of God. Chapter 20, God actually speaks and gives them the Ten Commandments. And they are told, no one is to come and touch the mountain. In other words, there was a limit that you could not approach God as far as you wanted to. You couldn't come and touch God. But thank God that Jesus removed the limit. Amen? The limit's been removed. Hallelujah. And so you can approach God now freely. Hallelujah. So this tells us that the people back then had a choice and we have a choice. It's called free will. We're made in the image and likeness of God. If we, were, if we didn't have free will, we couldn't choose. It'd be automatic. Thank God that he gives us the choice. Hallelujah. Be ready in verse 10 of chapter 19. Be ready on the third day. Guess what? You're going to see something. And this is what they saw. God came down on the mountain. Hallelujah. Anybody remember Dean Braxton? He'd been dead for 45 minutes. His wife prayed for him. And pe people prayed for him, believed him. He said, I went to heaven and I came back. And he's, yeah, I remember him. He came here to the church and I remember him saying, you know, when people tell me uh, they don't believe me, he says, you'll see. Praise God. You'll see. And this is what happened. Moses tells them, all the people, you'll see. God's going to come down and you'll see. But it's not only that, it says, um, and by the way, verses 20 and 21 in the New King James are in parentheses, which is kind of like, this, this is like a side note, just for your information. They, the order was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. But that's just a paraphrase because if you look in the Old Testament, the whole thing said, if a man or a beast touches the mountain, they're to be stoned with stones or shot with an arrow. And don't touch them. Remember what happened when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to, to Jerusalem and it's on an ox cart and they weren't supposed to bring it that way. And it, the, uh, the cart stumbled, hit a rock or something, and Uzziah put out his hand to touch the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and it killed him. Thank God that when we touch God now, it doesn't kill us. <laughs> it kills the old man and we resurrect to the new life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Not only that, they heard the trumpet blast, set limits, the Ten Commandments were given, and the people were afraid of God's presence. <clears throat> That's what, in John chapter 3, verse 19, after Jesus is meeting with uh, Nicodemus, he tells him that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish but come to everlasting life. And in verse 19, Jesus continues. He says, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There are four distinctions I want to look at in this particular passage right here. First of all, under the old covenant, there was physical, visible manifestation of God. Under the new covenant, in verse 22, the next verse, it says that we come into the heavenly Jerusalem, a spiritual uh, manifestation of God. The Old Testament dispensation was a dispensation of darkness. It says that there was darkness there. But the New Testament, there's light. It was terrifying to the people. A lot of you know, times I think if God would do something amazing, people would believe but Jesus, when he came, and God did do something spectacular with the resurrection of Jesus and his dealing with us. He deals with us in kindness. It's not terrifying. It's not if you touch God, you're going to get killed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God. The other distinction is that the old dispensation was limited. The new dispensation, we have full access to God. That's good news. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says in chapter 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Hallelujah. That's what God has in mind for us. He wants us to be holy. Glory to God. So, let's go on to verse 22. Did I get it? Yes. You have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the assembly, uh, and to an innumerable, innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. I want you to notice there, this like, and in the next uh, verse, there's a total of nine times where the writer says and and he keeps adding and this and that and this and that nine things out of a benefit to us by coming into relationship with God through Jesus Christ you have come near the Phillips translation says instead of but it says no instead of coming to this terrible terrifying thing you have been allowed to approach the true Mount Zion. And the true Mount Zion is the kingdom of heaven. It's not the physical place. It's the kingdom of heaven. In the uh, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, they explain it this way. You have come near and into heavenly places. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, 
There's a lot of those uh, expressions in the New Testament. However, or but God. God did this instead. God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, and He showed and demonstrated that by giving us His Son, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Not of yourselves through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. He made us alive together with Christ and He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have come not only to the spiritual Zion, but we have also come, and here's the, the first and, to the city of the living God. Remember in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, Abraham is commended for his faith because he says he waited for the city whose foundations, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. His de- or an, another uh, translation says that the designer and maker of, is God of the heavenly city. Another uh, translation calls God the architect and the builder. It's very rare for an architect to actually also be in business doing construction. Most architects uh, just make drawings and then somebody else makes the building. The city of God. Verse 16 of chapter 11. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Talking about those who have gone on ahead before us. He, God, has prepared a city for them and us. You'll notice in the previous passage, the word together in Ephesians. God has made us joint heirs together with Christ Jesus. Revelation chapter 21, you can read that on your own, talks about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Thirdly, we're we're entered into the new heavenly Jerusalem we have become members of a new society. We have a different citizenship. Hallelujah. We are no longer of this world. We're not supposed to be of this world. I was amazed because the next one says that we are, and we have come to an innumerable gathering of angels or festal gathering. And uh, I looked up this word festal gathering. Remember what Jesus said? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over a hundred righteous men. Well, the angels are having a party in heaven. And it's not just any old party. It's party time in the kingdom of heaven. Up in heaven, they're having a great party. And you and I are invited to that party. Hallelujah. An innumerable number of angels. You can't, hallelujah. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus is refuting the, uh, the, the um, <clears throat> Sadducees who were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And they come to Jesus with this trick question about some guy. Uh, Moses said the guy dies and his brother's supposed to take a wife the wife and you know produce kids and and the second brother died and the third and the fourth up to and whose wife will she be in the resurrection from the dead we're so smart 
Ha, we got a trick question for Jesus. And Jesus says, you boneheads don't know anything about God because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Furthermore, Jesus said, and you can read the, in Luke chapter uh, 11, I believe it, Luke chapter 20, verse 36. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Luke chapter 20, verse 36, Jesus says that when we rise from the dead, we are equal to angels. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be like the angels in heaven. We'll obey God. We'll love God forever. We'll be strong and mighty, mightier than we are now in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. And we're invited to the party. Hallelujah. I like going to parties. Praise God. My mom's 90th birthday party is coming up, and we're going to go to Florida and, and enjoy that time. Praise God. Then it goes on to say, and we are called, or we have approached, and come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is the picture of the census being enrolled. When you were, if you were a Roman citizen and you were born into, uh, like Paul says, uh, I was born a free man. His name was written down in the record book, just like we have birth certificate records here in the United States. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which or from where we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a citizen, we have rights, we have privileges, and we have benefits. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the 70 are sent out to preach, to heal the sick, and they come back rejoicing. Man, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, that's great, but that's not the real deal. He says, rejoice rather because your names are written in heaven. When you receive Jesus Christ, your name is entered into the Lamb's book of life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, Help these people. They are my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Revelations chapter 1, chapter 21, verse 27 says, Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life are allowed into the New Jerusalem. Then it goes on to, for the sixth and... And to God, the judge of all. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. Paul is uh, there in Corinth and he's on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he, he meets with all of the philosophers and they're really smart guys. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, they said, uh, you know, uh, what's they, they call him a babbler. What's this guy talking about? Let's hear what he has to say. And Paul tells him, you know, I, I know you guys are religious because you got lots of statues, but you have this one called the unknown God, and I know who it is, and it's Jesus. And he tells them that God, in verse 31, that God has appointed a day on which God will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. God has given assurance of this to everybody by raising Jesus from the dead. And when they heard that, they said, oh, <laughs> that's the funniest thing we ever heard, raising from the dead. But 
Thank God it's true. This is the most important event that has ever happened in all of history and all of time is not only the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus because it proves the unquestionable success of His sacrifice. Hallelujah. Without the resurrection from the dead of Jesus, we have no hope. Amen? But glory to God. God, the judge of all, he has appointed a time when he will judge the world in righteousness, in his righteousness, not ours. <clears throat> Three times in the book of Psalms, it says that God will judge the world in righteousness. There'll be no bribing God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then the seventh one, and it says that we are, uh, and here's the seventh and, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I thought about that. Why would the righteous be perfect? <clears throat> Were they made perfect? So I looked it up, and the word perfect there means to complete or done or finished. Vine's Expository Dictionary says that these are the departed saints. They're perfect because their time here on earth is done. It's complete, and now they're in heaven. Hallelujah. Let's go on. I wanted to, I forgot, I was going to uh, make uh, verse 25 separate, but that's okay. And here's another, and, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We have a contract with God. Can you say amen? And it's ratified, sealed, signed, and delivered. Glory to God, the promise of salvation, the promise of deliverance, the promise of eternal life. Glory to God. The promise of God's help and hallelujah, very present help in time of trouble. And it seems like it's always a time of trouble. And we go on to the next and the ninth one, the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. Now here's an interesting thing. The Jameson Fawcett and Brown commentary calls it the perpetual or everlasting ransom price. We were stolen, can you say amen? We were slaves before we received Jesus, but we have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. He paid the price, paid in full. When he died on the cross and gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished, paid in full. Hallelujah. Jesus no longer needed his blood. I find it interesting that his body died and was resurrected. His spirit and his soul is eternal. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 38 through 39, Jesus appears as a resurrected body. And he, I, I don't know if you see this, notice this, but Jesus tells him, look, I'm not a spirit. I'm real. I'm a, it's me. It's my body. And he's, he doesn't say flesh and blood. He says flesh and bone. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. I do. It's me. Come here, give me a hug. I can just see pictures. Come here, you guys, it's me. And they're scared to death. Oh my God, it's a ghost. I'm not a ghost, I'm a spirit. I'm not a spirit, it's, I'm a, it's my body, it's me. Hallelujah. They should have been rejoicing. Amen. Now listen also what it says there. <clears throat> Get the pointer here. Notice that it says the sprinkled blood, this is talking about Jesus' blood, it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This was confusing to me until I read the commentaries. This is not talking about 
Abel's personal blood, which we saw in chapter 11, spoke to God. This is talking about the blood of Abel's sacrifice. Remember, Abel brought a blood sacrifice before God, and he was accepted. But like we looked at earlier in the letter to the Hebrews here, those blood sacrifices were done all the time. But now we have the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word because once for all, done, don't have to do it again, sufficient forever to ever and ever. Hallelujah. Abel's blood along with all other innocent blood, cries for vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith God. How much innocent blood has been shed over the centuries is mind-boggling. And it cries for vengeance. If you read in the book of uh, 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 Revelation, uh, the saints under the throne cry out, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? But glory to God, Christ's blood cries for mercy, pardon, and peace. It's good news. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. The blood of Jesus sets us free. Hallelujah. It cries for mercy and not revenge. Mercy. Pardon. Peace with God. Knowing that you're right with God. What a precious thing. Amen. Glory to God. Gives us peace. And then in verse 25 it says, See to it. See that you do not refuse Him. Beware. This is a warning. Do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, which is Moses and the prophets, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This is Jesus had come down from heaven and warns us. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Do not refuse. Beware. See to it that you don't refuse. Chapter 2, verse 3 of the letter to Hebrews says these words, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. Let's not neglect. We should be praying regularly. We should be reading our Bibles regularly. We should be coming to church regularly and meeting with one another. Hallelujah. And having fellowship with God and one another. Let's not neglect that salvation. At the first, it began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to those who heard Him. This word uh, here, to refuse... According to Strong's Dictionary, it means to decline or to shun or to avoid or make excuses or reject. A lot of people uh, that I've talked to reject the grace of God. They say, oh, I'm hoping, I believe God's going to weigh my good deeds and my bad deeds. I've got news for you. You're not going to be able to do enough good deeds. Amen. Him who is speaking. This is Jesus. God expects people to pay attention. You know, it's a sign of respect when someone's talking to you to look at them and pay attention instead of wandering, you know, oh, well, I remember one guy telling us, uh, uh, yeah, I was at a safety meeting and uh, I'm sitting in the back with my feet up. I had my dark glasses on and I really wasn't paying attention. And the next thing you know, 
he did a maneuver uh, on his job site that almost killed him. He forgot to do, he forgot to turn the engine off in the truck, and he pulled the, the, uh, the blank out of the, uh, his name was Charlie. He pulled the blank out of the pipe, and there was fumes in the pipe that sunk down and went over to his truck, and uh, the catalytic converter on the uh, truck was about 1,200 degrees or so, and boom, burned him badly. Oh, no big deal, he thought, he said, when he was getting into the ambulance. And then he saw the look on the nurse's face. And then he felt the pain, and he said, oh, God, kill me. He said, pay attention. Amen? Pay attention. Especially when there's safety rules involved. Otherwise, you wind up. I don't know how many surgeries the poor guy said he had, but he had a plastic chin. That's how bad he was burned. Refuse, don't refuse him who is speaking. Oops. Let's see. We'll go to the next one. At that time, his voice, God's voice, shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Let's stop right there for a moment. Verse 25. Him who is speaking. Just a minute. If they, okay, let's, I want to back up. If they did not escape, this is talking about the children of Israel, those that came out of Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years and died because they refused him who warned them at that time. God spoke to them. Verse 2, chapter 4 of Hebrews says, the gospel, the good news, did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't believe God. They kept complaining and said, oh, God's not powerful enough to help us. Those who refused to believe in the wilderness. In the last days, chapter, ver chapter 1, verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. <clears throat> what happened here in Exodus chapter 32, Moses uh, was up on the mountain for a long time. The people say, Aaron, where's this Moses guy? You know what? Make us a god and we'll follow him. And Aaron says, okay, bring all your gold stuff and they melt it down and they make a golden calf. And God tells Moses, quickly, get back down to the mountain. Something's wrong down there. I'm going to kill all these people and I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And God is actually going to do that. <coughs> And Moses talks him out of it, saying, wait, God, if you do that, then everybody's going to hear about it, that you brought the people out here just to kill them when you really wanted to bring them out to bless them. You know how they are, God. Okay, Moses, get down there, quick. And so they're heading down the mountain, and Joshua says, well, it sounds like there's a war going on down there. I said, no, 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 no. That's not the sound of victory or defeat, but they're singing. And he gets down there, and he sees the golden calf, and they're dancing around the golden calf, which is why some Pentecostal uh, people adamantly tell you, you cannot go dancing. It's terrible. <laughs> well, these people were dancing around this golden calf, and, and uh, God says, okay, let's take care of this. And 3,000 men were killed by their own brethren for doing this thing. 3,000 of them. They're having a 
pretty good sized party. Can you say amen? They're dancing, and uh, and and uh, and God's going to kill Aaron too. And and Moses prays for everybody. God, please, please have some patience. <laughs> so this is probably one of the funniest stories. I really don't know how God didn't kill Aaron. Moses comes, Aaron, what happened? What did the people do to you to make you do this? Oh, well, um, they brought a bunch of gold and threw it in the fire, and this calf jumped out. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, let's grind it up. All right, get rid of it. And Moses, when he sees that at first, he's the first person to break all Ten Commandments at the same time. He throws the... <laughs> <laughs> throws the Ten Commandments down. God had written on them with his own finger and he broke them all. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. And he warns us from heaven at that time. Yet once more, this phrase indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, which literally means creation in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This phrase yet once more in the Hebrew, according to, um, or was it, according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, literally means it is yet on little or brief time span. To us, it seems like a long time since God came down on Mount Sinai. To us, it seems like a long time since Jesus came to earth with his first advent. And we're longing for the second, com second coming. Amen. And it seems like it's been a long time. Hallelujah. But the Bible, inspired by the Holy Ghost, he's saying to us, it really isn't that far away. Hallelujah. It's a brief time period. The promise is to return and to break up the present order. I don't know if you know this or not, but socialism is trying to take over and communism is trying to take over the world. That's their goal. Uh, Islam is trying to take over the world. That's their goal. However, <laughs> we're trying to take over the world for Jesus too. Can you say amen? But we're not doing it by violence. Hallelujah. Psalm 110 Verse 1, Jesus is, uh, is uh, prophesied, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Praise God. The establishment of God's kingdom is in our hearts and Isaiah and the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Daniel talks about um, the, the, the kingdom of God coming and taking over everything. Hallelujah. Glory to God, it's a benign dictatorship. It's not a nasty dictatorship. It's not a, a form of government where only the people at the top are benefited. It's a form of government. It's a kingdom where everyone gets the benefit. Amen. Sit at my right hand. At the present time in chapter 2 of Hebrews in verse 8, it says, we do not yet see everything subject to Jesus. But the day is coming when everything will be subject to Jesus. At this point in time, we do it willingly. Then it's, <clears throat> people are going to be so awed that they're going to fall on their knees. Amen. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3, verse 10 talks about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. The elements will be burned up with fire. Hallelujah. And whatever is left over 
That's the things that will not be shaken. Only once more it's going to happen. Not going to do it again. Once more. God shook things up once. Hallelujah. And the things that can be shaken will be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. That's the eternal kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> That's the, the saints, you and I. Hallelujah. Praise God. God's going to do it. And we'll see it with our eyes. Like Job said, I believe that I will see my Redeemer with my own eyes, my flesh. We're going to be given new bodies. We're going to be totally and finally at some point in time in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever. As a result, there's that word, therefore. In light of all of the information that be previously, therefore, because of all that's there before, or as a result, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. This is a verse from um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, verse 24, which is actually a um, not a, a, a complete quote, quote because Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 adds that God is a jealous God, but in a good way. Praise God. When you enter, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. God, your God, is a merciful God. So we're to worship because of all of these things, all of this good news, that we're to worship God, all those nine things, those nine benefits that we get by approaching the kingdom of God. In light of those, we should worship God. Gratitude is a good attitude. Can you say amen? The Jewish New Testament says we're to give thanks by which we offer God worship, acceptable worship. We're to be grateful by giving thanks. <clears throat> I heard a story of uh, some believers. I believe they were in um, North Korea. Any event, somewhere in the Far East. And uh, it was freezing cold winter. And a visiting missionary was there. And they didn't have a roof on their building. And he went to the prayer meeting. And everyone was praying and, and he asks his interpreter, what are they saying? Most of them are just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We can't thank Jesus enough. Can you say amen? Thank you, Jesus. They were grateful. They didn't care if they didn't have a roof. They didn't care if it was freezing cold. They had Jesus. <coughs> Hallelujah. Godly fear reverence, awe, respect, regard for others, self-restraint, honor. We want to honor Jesus. We want to honor God the Father. We want to honor the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be invited into our presence. We are always, God says, I will never take my Spirit from you. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, since Jesus left, has always here with us. Hallelujah. Godly fear, awe, is known as godly fear. Divine's Dictionary, it restrains a good person from an unworthy act. 
We should be so respectful of God. We should hopefully be so mindful of God that He's watching us, that He sees us, even knows what we think. He hears our mumbling and our murmuring, and He still loves us. We should, because of all this, worship God. One of the things that uh, uh, not too long ago, uh, actually in the, about 100 years ago when the Pentecostal movement started gaining momentum, actually a little more than 100 years ago, 1906, they had the great earthquake in, Los, in uh, San Francisco and the great earthquake in Azusa Street. Hallelujah. One of the things that set the Pentecostal movement apart was exuberant worship. Pastor Larry Neville uh, related a story that uh, the town where he, or the city, whatever it was, municipality where his dad had his church, he said, or his grandfather, you can ask him whenever you see him, the local people were upset. They tried to get an ordinance and, uh, and press charges because they were too loud. <laughs> Too Your church is too loud. You need to tone it down. We don't want to hear that much about Jesus. We don't care. Well, I care. If God has touched your life, you should be so thankful. You should be so happy and exuberant and, and, and crazy for Jesus. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Godly fear restrains a good man from an unworthy act. Hallelujah. God help us to pay attention. And we will end there with that. Our God is a consuming fire. Not a dangerous thing or not a deadly thing to us, but a blessing because the fire gets rid of all the stuff that won't last. Praise God. Let's close.